Welcome to A Pint with Shawnee B, coming to you from New York again. As you know, those of you who are regular listeners, we have a sponsor in New York, Houndstooth Pub and Stitch Pub, owned by my friend Nick Cohen. Go in and ask Nick for a pint and mention my name, and you'll get a free pint, even if I'm not there. We're here today to find all about what's going on in public relations, and we have one of the PR News' top women in PR, uh, for 2015 and a multi-award winning PR chief executive officer who is self-made, somebody who built her own company called De Gennaro Communications and a good friend of mine. I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast, Sam De Gennaro. Welcome. Hi, Shawnee B. Congratulations Thank you. on your big award. Thank you so much. Were you excited? I was. It's always excited. I spend so much time nominating clients for yeah. awards that every once in a while when I get one of my own. And what fun. was it exactly? Were the top 50 women? Or? Yeah, it was the top 50 women in the PR industry as selected <sighs> by a major trade publication and have no idea how I made it happen but or how it happened but it did. So tell me a bit about your company what you do now. So DeGenera Communications or DGC as we call it for short is a public uh, public relations and marketing communications company. We primarily do business to business PR which means that we help get the CEOs of major companies written about in the press. Uh, we help get them opportunities to speak at major conferences and festivals. We get them opportunities to be on juries, to judge award shows or boards, and we help get them on broadcast TV, on news shows. So you're in C-suite. You're basically We're in the C-suite. One of my observations from outside the C-suite is, the, and one of the sort of things I've been trying to pioneer with some of my clients when I was in advertising, is this idea of corporations starting to have to do good, not just because they want to get credit for it, but because it's the right thing to do. Have you noticed that happening? I absolutely do notice it. I think, yes, it's the right thing to do. Yes, in a lot of cases, they want to get credit. I think that's sort of a loaded and nuanced topic, though, yeah. because there's something that sort of implicitly Decredits yeah, the good yeah. that a company is doing yeah. when there's an agenda of yeah. fame or PR or, or recognition attached mm. to it, which is why at times we actually advise clients not to overly publicize yeah. their good initiatives. Yeah. Another point that I think goes hand in hand with doing good is that it makes employees feel good about the company they work for or the department that they work for and that is something to be shared and celebrated uh, we're in a a world that evolves that, that continues to evolve in a direction of giving back and being more socially conscious more aware of our environment our surroundings etc so anything we can do to contribute to that is a real feel good what about crisis PR? Is that something that you work with? Oh, we do a lot of crisis PR. <laughs> and interestingly enough, you know, not everyone is cut out to do crisis PR. It is one of my all-time favorite areas of PR. I've yeah. come to learn about myself that I thrive in chaos. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually, despite the fact that I'm sort of a high-energy 
very big personality to start with. When somebody else is stressed or dealing with a crisis, yeah. I actually have a way of bringing my own energy level They're down. They're rock against and which they can rest their face. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I keep them calm. I yeah. stay balanced. I keep the timber even. It's, so. one of, it's one of the great things that has happened to the world is the fact that you can't hide anymore. Mm. And I remember we were, I remember way back in the 90s, we were just talking before we pressed record here about my time in Ireland with my agency. And um, you don't have to talk about any of your clients, but I don't mind talking about my old ones. Uh, but Nestle had this, always had this problem with baby milk and baby formula. And one day the chairman said, I need to see you, Sean. He came over to the agency like at seven o'clock at night. And the, the University College Dublin had banned all Rantry products, which is part of Nestle, from sale in the student union and all the on campus. And this is a huge deal. It's a lot of chocolate. And again, 93, pre-internet, pre-anything, it was like, how do we shut this down? But today, you just can't. I mean, it's just out there. And, and, and movements can start. And, and it, it comes back to the thing in life. Honesty, right? And authenticity. and authenticity. And I know that's sort of a hackneyed word, but it's such an important yeah. word. Yeah. And with a proliferation of social media, like you can't shut things I know. down. It really is. But he said to me, he was a lovely man, the guy, the chairman of, of, of our Irish Nestle, and he said, what can we do about it? And I said, well, first of all, are you doing this? And he was like, uh, well, no, we're not, but our company might be. <laughs> I said, well, if you're doing this, then you have to tackle it head on. You've got to stop doing it. Sounds and, like you're a crisis counselor yourself, well, Mr. Boyle. Only, that was my only real, uh, my only real take. It's amazing how, as well, while people think public relations and advertising is very similar, it, it, it's quite different, in my view. I very rarely got to work with the PR people that closely, and... It is very different. I mean, advertising is the business of paid media. Mm. You're actually buying media space, and therefore you can push whatever message you want to push, whereas PR is earned media, mm. and the message that you'd like to push is only as good as what a journalist hears in it yeah. and believes in it which is you know that speaks to the importance of honesty and authenticity and in turn it's the it, the message is written in the journalist's point of view so it it actually is quite different taking that segue in journalism what what about the thinking that says because the newspapers and journalists are under so much pressure and things are getting flimsy in terms of depth of coverage i mean I, my view is we're just we're a soundbite culture now. We're, we're not getting these big... 140 characters. We are. And you hear, anecdotally, newspapers just taking press releases because they don't have the staff to either dig, interview, get their own point of view on, and just printing them. Is it easier to get trade puffery like that into newspapers than it used to be? It's... Here's how I'll answer that. There are more outlets and more places to get coverage than there ever were in the past. In the yeah. past, there may have been five reputable publications that yeah. people would want to be in. The Wall Street Journal or the Financial Times yeah. or Fortune or Forbes, for example. Now there are a gazillion places to go. However, is it easier? Not necessarily. There are some real ghetto outlets that will publish anything, yeah. but classically trained journalists or any news organization with any level of credibility, 
is not going to just, they're not going to publish junk. They will want merit-based content, real substantive content. Where do you see the future of the newspaper? Well, I'm a bad one to ask because I am a traditionalist and I love holding my print newspaper. I really do. Sipping my cup of coffee and like opening that big old fashioned newspaper up. So I really do hope that the newspaper lives on in perpetuity in its print form. That said, we've seen an evolution. We've seen the newspaper go from being really, really thick to thinner in recent years because ad sales and advertising revenue has migrated a lot online. We've seen newspapers go from having only hard, hard news on the front page and particularly above the fold to now having all sorts of in-depth exposés and profiles and bigger picture exploratory pieces and series. I think the future of newspaper journalism will be partly digital and really deep content. Two minutes ago, you were talking about the fact that content isn't as deep. I actually think we have bigger opportunity to get deep online because there are so many layers. You could layer in multimedia, you can layer in slideshows, you can layer in video, you can layer in depths of content. I do think that the newspapers, sadly, will continue to shrink in their initial print format. It was interesting. I just we were in the middle of Oscar season, and I I watched uh, Spotlight last week, which was, I think, the Boston Herald or whatever. But I mean, you know, that was a story about journalism. But it's also a story about an editor giving a team of three or four paid employees a year to write a story. And, and once that story appears, as they say, it's chip shop paper the next day. The beauty and the, and the value behind the tales of, journal, of in-depth journalism seems to have been watered down. And it, it, it worries me. I love, I love that you have that, that sort of optimism about it because it's clear that we need to have it. We As a society, we need to have some guy with a notebook digging into what's going on. I did say that there's an importance for classic journalism I didn't really mention that you're right there are some butchered ghettoized sites out there that run with junk and don't fact check and are so so sloppy and it really is a brave new world of journalism and of breaking news I mean Twitter is every bit as much a competitor to some of the major news organizations yeah. yeah like major top-tier business dailies sometimes decline covering news because it's all or or covering it in any depth Mm. because the news has already broken on twitter i I find myself sometimes reading something on facebook and then going really is this actually happening and then having to open the bbc to see if it's actually happening and sometimes it isn't actually happening. well and i think that's an interesting point i think the the real reputable news organizations can corroborate and or debunk bad myths and rumors um and and they do they will remain go-to sources i believe for anyone with half a brain and half an education at least in decades to come i i can't prognosticate 50 years from now yeah, but we probably all won't be here then yes we will <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> we'll be avatars um what one of the things i used to work with a guy called david brain who's very senior in edelman 
and uh, David's a great guy, a good friend of mine. But when he climbed up the the ladder at Edelman, I remember we we used to have these existential conversations about which was more honest, advertising or public relations. And my view was advertising was more honest because it was more visibly an ad, whereas public relations was more Wizard of Oz-like, man behind the curtain, pushing stories that maybe are looking like journalism but aren't really. What, what's your view on that? My view, 100%, is that PR is more honest because, to me, it's about unearthing the truth as long as you are dealing with journalists who are also on a quest to unearth the truth. Of course, there are PR practitioners and flack, I mean, in the worst spin. term, who are spin doctors mm. who spend their lives making ridiculous stories up to try to push an agenda. Do you have a, a code of ethics about what clients you'll take on? 100%. It's not so much a code of ethics about what clients will take on, but it is a very rigorous vetting process. Right. I left the corporate world yeah. to build an organization where I could hand select and cherry pick the types of clients yeah. I wanted on my roster why was and the that types of people I wanted on my with. team. Tell me why that was. You know, without flat out putting down corporate America because I do believe I'm grateful for my 15 years in it and I Same. believe that I am where I am because of what I learned there mm -hmm. both good and not so good yes. but I will say that by the end of 15 years in corporate America I just felt like I had seen way too many examples of middle management mediocrity of paper pushing of just people not really using their brains their intellectual curiosity their ability to, to do critical thinking and yeah. really get deep into a problem and do what is right rather than just um what the cookie cutter solution yeah. would be there was politics the politics I, I it just it grossed me out i yeah. just don't have the time of day for the politics for the gossip, for the back-channeling, and there's so much of that. And it's funny, like, even some of the companies that, you know, maybe not need to mention names, but, like, we've worked in, we worked in, some, in, in one of the bigger organizations in New York. But, you know, you see the people who maybe 10 years after you and I have left that are still there, and they're the ones who are best at playing the game it's and so doing true. the thing. And, 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 by the way, some of them are good, but most of them, I felt, were not good. You know, I mean, in terms of their brains or their ideas. I think it depends on your value system. Yeah. They're good. They're good at what they're oh, good at, yeah. which is playing the politic yeah, yeah. and working the system yeah. and knowing how to advance. appeal to the right people yeah. to advance their own agenda. And I agree with everything you just said. I'll take this back to the point about honesty. I think, you know, maybe one of the reasons that big corporate bureaucratic company culture was not for me was that I am a brutally honest person. Yeah. So if something didn't seem right, if something wasn't objectively fair, yeah. if something wasn't grounded in enough strategic rationale or reasoning, yeah. I would say it. Same. And I'd say it candidly and honestly. And sometimes people just don't want to hear the truth. Now, go back and cross-fertilize the idea that public relations is all about uncovering the truth. What you just said there about you would always speak out, you're very like me in that regard. And then I'm going to overlay the fact that these guys that have stayed in the business 
arguably are great at public relations because the difference between how they're seen and envisaged is slightly different from, say, the way you're seen because no one likes a troublemaker. No one likes the person saying the king's not wearing any clothes. How close oh. is public relations to politics in large corporations? Oh, well, <laughs> it, I, that's a good question. You know, it really it depends. There are di- different people perceive of public relations in different ways. PR is really about the ability to manage a perception. So yeah, there is a bit of a PR game, I guess, to what they're doing. I defined what PR is to me, though. And to me, PR is about unearthing truths. And then taking those truths and melding them or molding them to help manage a perception. Yeah, those guys might be good politicians, good PR people, good at managing their own brand. Those are the spinmeisters. Those might be the flack. Those might be the the celebrity publicists. Who knows? So one of the things that one of the reasons that I wanted to interview Sam is because there's a great story here about, and it's actually becoming rarer and rarer in, um, particularly in New York, where somebody, as she just said, has had enough of working in corporate culture and has gone and bravely set up her own thing, which you did how many years ago now? It's just our 10-year anniversary, 10 years ago, ago. yeah. Tell me about what your head was like when you were leaving JWT or whatever agency it was. Yeah, it was JWT, it was the summer of 2005. I, I was a bit scared. I'm typically a fearless person, but I knew that I would be walking out of a secure job, a secure salary an expense account, and a team, and starting something from nothing. And I will tell you, it probably didn't help that I've got two baby boomer parents who worked really, who are children of immigrants from Italy and worked really, really hard to sort of make money, etc. And the concept of me leaving a stable job and doing something from nothing oh, was scary oh. to them. Oh, I, I had and the same. It, it's interesting because even though my parents have so encouraged me to follow my dreams all yeah. throughout my life, when it was when it really came down to the wire about leaving well-paid job, respectable job, they thought I was crazy. So when where were they from? Where were you brought up? So I'm from uh, New York. Right. I grew up in Rockaway Beach. Queens, a small peninsula about 30 miles outside of the city. My grandparents are from Italy. My dad's side from the south, my mom's side from the north. No jokes about the north and the south. They were not from a lot at all. They fled, emigrated to uh, New York through Ellis Island, and we did not come from anything. So I will say there's an element of self-made in each of my parents, and maybe I just replicated that, but I replicated it in a very different sort of way. Do you think Um, that gene carries, though, that you, you, like, even though you were saying you were afraid, were you... Because the Irish was similar, you know, we were, we all came in. Irish and Italians built New York. Yep, yep, yep. Do you think that gene carries... I think it's a a bit of nature, a bit of nurture. My parents didn't want to have to see me suffer potentially through starting a business and starting from nothing with no salary. What did they do? They were both teachers. My dad was an entrepreneur. So he was a teacher with the New York City Board of Ed, as my mom was. 
Um, and he took his summers and he started a day camp during the summers and grew a day camp. So I did, and that's why I say, I think some of it is nature. Some is nurture. I did watch how hard my dad needed to work to start something and to build it and worked around the clock to make it happen and ultimately ran a successful enough business that he was able to retire from the board of ed at age 42 or 43 right. and just run his summer camps. Uh-huh. So did you do college then here? Or yes. What? And then How I, did you get so advertising? I was always creative. I studied art. I studied art at the place where you would least think to study art. I went to the university of Chicago in the Midwest, which is known for its By economics. By the way, I have to say to you, I love the little paint. I didn't know you did those little Thanks, paintings. Thanks, all my etchings. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She has etchings so, on, on the walls of her office, which are very, very beautiful and pretty. Thank you so much. They're little travelogues yeah, from Japan. Have, and they should be a part of a book or something. Well, it's fun. thank you for saying that. It's funny because I really, really miss doing my art. Paint to canvas and and hands and clay and yeah. and that sort of stuff. I'm a very the tactile you're going, you'll be person. able to retire. Yeah, maybe just like my dad. Yeah. You never know. You never know. So to answer your question, where did this all come from? So I was born and raised in Queens. I went to high school in Brooklyn at a school called Poly Prep that I'm still actually very involved in Great. from an alumni standpoint. Moved on to Chicago for undergrad. And when all of my friends were studying Economics, which is what the school is known for, I decided to study fine arts, studio art, design, etc. I was one of three people in my graduating class to graduate with that major. Where does and somebody go? If someone goes and works in an auctioneers or something from that, is that, is that what they do? They go into higher academia. They go right. into academia. Okay, okay. Or a lot of attorneys, economists, yeah. finance, okay, etc. Okay. So I didn't know what to do with myself. Mm. And all I knew was that I was creative, I was very liberal-minded, very artsy-fartsy, and I wanted to be around people like me. And somebody, just in talking to people, someone said, oh, you'd like the ad industry. I had absolutely no idea what the ad industry was about, but I moved home after I graduated from school in June of 92, and I went to a headhunter and said, I want to get into advertising. She said, okay, well, what do you know about it? I knew nothing. She sent me off for an interview at a sadly now defunct agency called DMBNB or Darcy Macias oh, Benton and Bowles, yes, as yeah. some people know it. And I got a job as an entry level production assistant and started off in production and learned about advertising in the days of that way. And, uh, Except that unfortunately, what I was doing, like as an assistant, producer and cost control manager, Uh, I was triple bidding (laughs) the cost of productions. And it was a lot of numbers and it just, it wasn't really my thing. But you know what? It showed me what being at an ad agency was about and was like, and I've got such a big agency. And you know, I sat here and poo-pooed corporate America, but I will also, and that's more because I'm a rebel and I'm sitting on the other side of it now, but I loved my years in corporate America. I well, really I, mean, I, I, I would I would say this. I think DMBNB, Ogilvy, JW, a lot of these companies back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s were not like what they are today. One of the things that happened was 
the money guys got involved and beca- yeah. and pigeonholed it and took the, sucked the the, the sucked soul the, the soul out. That's actually you know? my exact term. When people say, and I haven't said it yet on this podcast, but when people say, "Well, why did you leave and why did you start your own business?" I typically say because I just felt like. It was sucking the soul. The yeah. corporate life was sucking the soul out of me. And we work with a number of corporate organizations, and I love them, and I'm loyal to them. I love my clients. The only difference is I don't have to sit in-house now. So it's not yeah. so much about corporate America. It's about having the temperament yeah. to sit within a big organization, which for 15 years I did, and it was fine, and I learned and I grew, and then I started feeling like, my soul was getting sucked and I could do what I love doing with those companies I wanted to work with but on my own terms and there's nothing more liberating than that just how did you go from the production assistant into public relations it was a wonderful thing <laughs> I, it was a it, it was just it was luck it was ridiculous yeah. luck that my roommate from college who was in PR I was sitting and shooting the shit with her one night excuse my French I was about 24, 25 at the time and I just said you know I love advertising I love the business but I don't love what I'm doing and I don't know what to do with that I was trying to I was searching I was trying to find out what I wanted to do she said actually Sam I think your personality is well suited for PR and I loved the ad agency I was working at, and I sort of went in the next day and looked on the job board. It was like an old-fashioned job board. So there was a job board offer for a mid-level corporate communications manager at DMB&B. It cracks me up. This is part going back to me being fearless. I didn't know diddly squat about what a corporate communications manager was. I was going on. It sounds interesting. I interviewed for the job like a week later, and I got it. They did the whole transfer. I went into the new department. Did they just give you, here's a few books on PR to read or whatever? How did you? They didn't even get, I I went out and read. I'm a reader. I'm also, I like to intensely and intently dive into, deep dive into anything I'm eager to learn about. So I went out and I bought a few books and... I learn, I'm a self-taught person. I don't I'm know. amazed one, just to segue on that fact, I, I have these five books that I say to anybody who wants to get into advertising. If you read those five books and do a two-page precy or summary of each of them on what you took out of it and come back to me with 12 pages and six books now, I will do my best to get you a job in advertising with the contacts I have. And I've given that exercise to about 120 people and two people actually have did. actually done it. And I'm going, you want to get in or not? It's only, and they're, by the way, they're books like Ogilvy and Advertising, yeah, Where the Suckers Moon. They're books basic. you have to read yeah. if you want to get it. It's so interesting you say that because something that we vet for here at DGC as we're hiring people yeah. is it's sort of an it factor that you can't really put in words other than saying it's a hunger. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a hunger and chops and desire yeah. to just learn and grow and self-development and intellectual curiosity and not everyone has it. No. And you can pretty, in sort of a, a Gladwellian, a Malcolm Gladwellian sort of blink well, way. that's one of the books. You can, oh, is that true? <laughs> that's so funny. You can tell within 30 seconds yeah. of talking to a person whether their mind works in a way that they're going to be able to synthesize complex information yeah. and and really take on lots of big... Your job and my job are not dissimilar in the sense that you need. I need writers and I need curious writers. Mm-hmm. I ask people for interview to bring in four things they've written that are interesting, right? 
these are guys going for and girls going for 150 grand a year jobs and like they bring in a 200 page deck they wrote for Citibank that's full of typos and I'm like this is the best thing you <laughs> I said like I said bring a poem brings and anything anything to yeah I mean kids these days you guys obviously can't see I'm just sitting here <laughs> nodding my head because I am flabbergasted yeah. and in in total agreement with Sean because it's true and mm. I don't even know that I want to say kids these days it's not only the uh, kids it's it's a it's a t- it's a character it's a logic thing. yeah it's a type of person what was it like taking that plunge and going, right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to set up my own company. And tell me a little bit and briefly about what's happened. So it was scary as hell. In my very Sammy D style, I did a little bit of an analysis, nothing formal, but I got inside my head and I thought, okay, I love what I do. I'm just not loving the environment at this point in time hmm. in which I'm doing it. So do I go out and do I apply for other jobs sure i could do that but won't it just be the same same the same environment even if i switch industries but here's where i was creative here's where i put my creative brain on at the time i was interviewing for a bunch of full-time jobs but there were two in particular that i really liked because they were similar enough to what i was doing that they give me a comfort level Mm. but different enough that they gave me a sense of challenge one was at a global media agency called Zenith Optimedia and the other was at an independent communications marketing services agency called SS&K. They were each recruiting for a full-time in-house head of corporate communications and I decided to be the creative entrepreneur that I am and pivot on them and say I'm actually considering going out on my own. Is there any chance you would consider Mm, outsourcing this role you'll get me yeah it'll be cost efficient for you because you don't have to pay me a full-time salary you will be a launch client for a business and i will be forever indebted to you for that etc and i i was hoping that out of the two of those one might say yes and they both came back to me and said yes and there I had it, like within the course of a week, right. I had two launch clients client. for a new business. And that's how the business launched. Did it's, you think it would ever, like, so you, you, you now have 40 people, which is pretty, that's a pretty big PR I've company, got a, right? Yeah. What's the end game? Is, is there one? Do you have a plan? Actually, you, you know going? what? I will go into end game, but I, I will actually make one other point because mm-hmm. I think it's a tip. Like, I've always lived my life with some core values, some personal values and principles that are important to me. And while I love solitude, I also love team. And I knew that if I was going to leave and start my own business, that I would want to do so as a team. So I decided right out of the gate that I wanted to forego my own salary and use that to hire a person. Uh, And that set me up and freed up my time enough that I was able to grow the business from the get-go. It wasn't... I've never heard anyone do that. That's, I mean, I've heard people not take salaries, but I, the logic... It was a little bit of a risk. What so. do you say to your old, your younger self who was just coming out of fine arts? Oh, yeah. I've got to answer that, and I didn't answer the end game. The end game is to be happy and to work with people I love working with, and I've got that team now, yeah. and I'm delighted with them. What do I say to my younger self coming out of fine arts? I say to my younger self, be fearless 
and never let anyone quash your voice or your desires. If you feel something in you and and it's true to who you are, you also have to know yourself. Know yourself. Spend time with yourself. And when you know that something is right for you, gun at it. Go for it. Be fearless. Don't lose your voice. Speak up. And the rest will follow. That'll that fearlessness will open up crazy opportunities. And I'll, I'll say, um, yes, I'm fearless in a lot of ways. But yeah, I've got fears as well. When I left Chicago in 1992, one of my best friends was from Barcelona, and the Olympics were in Barcelona that summer. And she invited me to go spend the summer with her family, and we could volunteer at the Olympics. And I was afraid to take two months without any money and any salary and without a job. And I forewent wonderful, wonderful opportunity. And everything in my gut said I wanted to be there, I wanted to do it, and I didn't follow my gut. I did what was rational or what I thought other people would want me to do. And I don't want to say there are regrets. I don't live by regrets, but... My last, Be fearless. Que- my last question to you is if Martin Sorrell came waving a huge check in your nose under your nose, would you sell to him? Oh, you're killing me, Shawnee. <laughs> I would have the conversation. You would have the conversation. I would have business the conversation. Business. Business, I, business. Yeah. I mean, I left the corporate world to be independent. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I would want to give up my independence. But business is business, and I okay. always keep an open mind. Sammy D, I hope that you never sell to corporate America and that you keep pioneering this lovely thing that you're building here. And I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. It was great having this chat with you. I knew you'd be great on it. And also, Sammy D has a pint with Shawnee B. Kind of runs. Yeah, and thank you, Shawnee B. I love it. This was so much fun. Thank you. Bye. Bye.